Children's Church, you can be dismissed at this time. I know, it's tough. It's even worse in here. Ask the adults. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, take your Bibles this morning. We are back in the book of Hebrews. I know, you've been waiting with bated breath. I, I know, you've just been hanging in there. But it's because you want to see it finished. All right, Hebrews 12. And we have taken a little time off. In fact, I think we, we concluded prior to Christmas. And so this is our first time back in the book of Hebrews since then. Uh, for those of you visiting this morning, we're glad you're here. A little bit about us. We go through uh, books of the Bible uh, from the pulpit. That's what we strive to do. I believe that in learning God's Word, that is the way we should learn it. We should get into a book and keep it in context and study what God is saying to the people He was saying it to and find where those principles bridge across time to where we are in our day and how they're applicable to us. And so... Uh, I encourage you as you study God's Word, study a book at a time, and uh, we find ourselves in the letter of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 12. With that said, uh, we'll see what I do today. Y'all notice I don't have crutches. I still have the brace. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we're getting better. Uh, I was telling Mark out in the hallway, my, my bubble got burst a little bit, though. I thought I was doing really good. And I went to Chapel Hill, my doctor said, uh, you're behind. And I was like, oh. And uh, he said that um, I should be, he said, take your other leg. He said, bend it really good, bend it really good. He said, okay, you should be able to do that with your other leg without me touching it. <laughs> Easy for him to say. He doesn't have to deal with the pain when I'm trying to bend it. So they gave me a really powerful uh, anti-inflammatory drug. Uh, to help the swelling, because that's what's preventing my knee from really bending is the swelling. So um, we're trying that. Uh, side effects are not the best, but uh, if I fall asleep during the sermon, y'all wake me up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> y'all were thinking the same thing, weren't you? If I fall asleep, you wake me up. No. Um, so we're getting there. We're getting there. I was telling Mark, I did for the first time the bicycle the other day. I've tried two times to do the bike, and it was ultimate fail, and I couldn't do it. But the other day, after I took that medication, I was good to go the next day and uh, was able to do that. So we're getting there. Uh, who knows? Maybe next week uh, I'll be you know, jumping around again. Probably not, but we're, we're working on it. I want us to talk this morning about a subject that, uh, wow, is lacking in our society, is it not? The subject of discipline. Uh, a lot of things happened this past week, and uh, I, I find it very timely that God has us going back in to the book of Hebrews this week because I could not have arranged for this subject matter to come up on this given week, but God can. And so today we're talking about the love of discipline. And some, some of you kids are probably thinking, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> uh, I don't love discipline. I don't know who your daddy was. But anyway, um, it's lacking. It's lacking in our homes. It's lacking in our individual lives. It's lacking in our society. It's lacking in our churches. And yet, we're going to see today, I trust we will see today, that this is God's plan for us. And it's because of love. 
Question. Here's the weapon of choice. Uh, how many of you were spanked as a kid? It's okay. Raise your hand. You were spanked as a child. Look at this. Look at all these scarred people around the room. Yes, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that was before you got up, right? <laughs> Listen, gang, you, you know, you turned out all right, I think. I think. There's a belt. You know what my dad used to do? And I, I've done this with my kids. Did your dad ever do this? Take that belt and psh, psh, make that pop sound? Yes, your daddy did. That's me. Thank you. She knew. See, she knew that sound. How about the wooden spoon? Anybody had the wooden spoon on them? Yeah, that's mama's choice. Yeah, the wooden spoon. Anybody? Don, what's that right there? Honored you? What's that up in the corner? I know it's hard to see from there. That's not a fair question. He can't see from back there. I, I can't see from right here, and I'm up on it. <laughs> Any, yes, but what, a hickory tree. That's a hickory switch. I got the whole branch. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, they probably should have just cut the thing down on you. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But anyway, how many of you had to go pick your own hickory switch? Oh, man, I'm telling you, I remember that. I remember... You know, dad would come home, and we, we grew up, when I was smaller, we grew up on my great aunt's farm, and just a lot of acreage, down a long dirt road, nobody but us in the farm, and, and mama would say, you wait till your daddy gets home. Oh, man, you hate hearing that, don't you? You knew you were in trouble then, and dad would come in, and I remember the first thing he'd say, son, go out there and pick you out a hickory switch. And it didn't matter, because if you tried to get the smallest, remember, you, you tried to get the smallest you could, and the smallest hurt worse than any. Man, that was a lose-lose. So it seemed. Well, I'm glad to know that I wasn't the only one. And listen, it, 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 again, the point is discipline is necessary. By the way, that other one is, is a newspaper rolled up. Okay? If you didn't know that, that's a newspaper rolled up. Who got that? The newspaper rolled up. Okay, Lori. All right. That explains a lot. Right? There. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, we use that one on our pets, you know. It's a, but the children, they get all the others. <laughs> so, yeah, listen, it, it's necessary. And as we're going to find in the text today, God deems it necessary. Let's take a look in the Word of God, and uh, we're going to kind of unpack some things here this morning. Notice if you we're going to back it up just a little bit and begin our reading in verse 1 of Hebrews 12. Therefore... We also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son 
whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward... It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, teach us. Be our teacher. And Lord, help us to have a heart to hear your voice through your word. Meet with us right where we are. Many people around this room, many people watching via television, listening via podcast, Lord, right where they are, right in their circumstances, right in their problems, right in the things they're facing, meet meet us, Lord, today and encourage us. Give us ears to hear and give us faith to follow. And we'll give you the praise. Because we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, when we think of this subject of discipline, I love what MacArthur says, go figure, on this section of Scripture. He gives three types of discipline, and I think this helps us as we hone in on this specific text today to think in the broad and narrow it down to where we are in Hebrews. He speaks of three types of discipline. The first one is the correctional type of discipline. This is when there is sin and it needs to be addressed. Now, my advice has always been, and I practice this in my own life, when circumstances are going south and it seems like everything under the sun is coming against me, I want to start with introspect. Lord, is there sin in my life? Have I I done something? Am I doing something? Am I living in a lifestyle that your word has said this is wrong? Thus saith the Lord. And then I'm instructed that if that's the case, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, I'm willing to lay it down. I'm willing to repent from it. I'm willing to to, to turn my back on it because I recognize that it's against a holy God and that this is not becoming of a follower of Christ. If I confess my sin, He's faithful and He's just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. This is where we should start. Scripture speaks also to what is a type of discipline that's a preventative. It's actually a protection from sin. So, for example, 
the Apostle Paul. You remember the Apostle Paul prayed three times. He had a thorn in the flesh and he kept begging God, please take this thorn from me. Take this away, please. But God said, no. My grace is sufficient. Now, some have speculated maybe it was vision, he couldn't see good. Again, whatever the case, it was to keep him humble. Now think about that for a minute. Do you realize sometimes God will allow things to prevent sin from happening in your life? You know, I got to thinking about this and I said, you know what, I bet you that's why my leg's messed up. Had I not had my leg messed up, I'd have been out there running with Nate and I'd have probably beat him. (laughs) And that would not have been good for my pride. I'm just kidding, Nate. By the way, good finish yesterday. First place in his age division in the triathlon yesterday. (laughs) It's a good thing my leg was down. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, 14th overall, right? Excellent. Yes, (laughs) the geriatrics, yes. (laughs) Yes, I would have, my friend. (laughs) Walker and all, right? Anyway, we'll stop there. (laughs) Nice. Look, preventative. Sometimes God allows circumstances into our life to prevent. We could be headed down a path that would not be profitable. And so, again, we have scriptural examples, types of discipline. Whoop, let's go back. And the last one is educational. And I believe that's what we're going to find here in this text. The majority of what we'll read in Hebrews 12 is is educational. It's for instruction. Discipline is for instruction. Now, again, I don't think that the type of discipline that we're speaking of here... you know, I'm going to hold off. I'm gonna, we're, going to make a, we're going to make a clarification in just a moment because I think a lot of times... Uh, there's some misunderstanding on this. So so let me hold off and I'll address it in just a moment. But let me say this about discipline. This will help you understand where we're going. And and I'll stay with Nate as the illustration. Nate didn't just show up yesterday and do this race. He's been disciplining himself for years. Do you understand that form of discipline? Right? Training. He's educated himself on the best way of doing this. Guys, God wants you and me to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so that means sometimes discipline isn't necessarily corrective in nature, though it may be, and we should start with that. Sometimes it's preventative, but other times it's happening for His glory and for our good. It's to train us, to run the race, to run it well, to run with endurance. And so I think, again, coming off of what we've just seen here at the top of Hebrews 12, we find this to be the case. The first thing that we're going to look at is parenting. Because, um, again, in the area of discipline, that's probably where we think first. When we think discipline, discipline begins at home and the, you know, a parent. But let's go back and capture the context of the letter in which we've studied since we've kind of taken a vacation from it for a while. 
we know that this letter is being written to almost a nomadic group of people, Hebrew people. And it's being written to them at a time when persecution is rising. And there, we know there's three types that are in this group, just like there's three types in our group today. There is the unbeliever who's with them. This could be grandma, this could be mom, dad, this could be brother, sister. There's no doubt people who are in that group that are non-believers. They may even be scoffers. Specifically in this group, they were Judaizers. There were some, those who were saying, no, we need to stick with the traditions of our father. And the letter is about addressing them as well. And then we also have the fence straddlers, those who have one foot in Judaism and one foot in wanting to follow Christ, but they've never come to that complete surrender. They've never been born again, as the Bible would say. And so they're sort of teetering. And the writer is pleading with them. Follow Christ. And then you've got the born-again believer who is facing persecution and no doubt is starting to waver in their commitment as circumstances will do in your life and will do in my life sometimes will question, cause us to question our commitment. Did I really sign up for this? And so keep the context of who the letter's written to and think about it in those parameters. And so all through up to this point, he's been saying Jesus is enough. Jesus is greater. He's better than the prophets of the Old Testament. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the priesthood of Aaron. He is greater. He is superior. He is better. Jesus is enough. And so then he gives them this long chapter 11 of examples of people who who by faith trusted in the coming of Jesus. They never saw Him. They never actually received that promise of the Old Testament. But they knew it was coming, and so they exercised faith in the Word of God. They exercised faith in the coming of the Messiah. And their life wasn't a bunch of roses. Thanks for that. That was a good illustration. Y'all didn't know I was going to go there, did you? Who put those flowers up? Thank you. Hey, Christian walk's not a bed of roses, is it? Look at chapter 11. In fact, let's look at chapter 11. Notice, I'm going to just kind of brief us just secondly. Here in verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. But notice what happened to others. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sewn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in the caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And that's his whole point. He's saying, look, Jesus came... And in Him we're one. 
He's a fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. He's a fulfillment of the tabernacle. He's a fulfillment of all those things. He is greater. He is better. And then he goes into chapter 12 right after that great example of the hall of faith. And he says, therefore, we also, since we're, so, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, since we have these examples, guys, don't get discouraged because life is getting stinky. Don't get discouraged because the pressure's coming. The suffering's happening. He says, therefore, since we have, we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, they're not up in heaven looking down. We talked about this. That would not be good. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And we talked about, again, he's been hitting on disbelief, disbelief. Why didn't they go into the promised land? It was because of disbelief. Why did they shrink back? Because of disbelief. And again, there's those fence people. They're on the fence. They're going to go back into Judaism or are they going to follow Jesus? And many of them, though they tasted, remember that chapter? They tasted the goodness of God. They were partakers of the Holy Spirit in that they were in that gathering. They sensed the drawing of the Spirit of God, but they never ate. And they turn and they dis in disbelief and go back. And so he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says, you want an ultimate example for your suffering? You want an ultimate example for the mess you're in right now? You want an ultimate example that's going to set you free from the woe is me. Strike the violins. <laughs> My life is just so bad. <laughs> Strike the violins. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. What does He say? He says, who for the joy... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Uh, was the cross going to be joyful? Absolutely not. In fact, our understanding of this passage, we have no clue. Speaking of clue, we have no clue. But we will coming up, right? All right. So we, he says, look, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. What for the joy that was set before him? endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why was Jesus able to pray in the garden, Lord, oh, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done. Thy will be done. He was able to yield to the Lord's will because he knew he would be returning to the joy and the glory he had with his Father before he came to this earth. He was able to endure the suffering of the cross for the joy set before him. The joy beyond the cross. The joy beyond the pain. And guys, this is marching orders for you and me. If we look at the cross, oh, take this away from me. But what's going to get us through it? It's not looking at the circumstances, not looking at the woe is me, getting our eyes off of self as we've been studying and put our eyes on our Savior, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's going to give us the endurance to catch that last leg of the race. That's going to help me pedal a little harder. That's going to help me run a little faster. But it's going to take discipline. 
And so, He gives us that example. And yes, He's giving an athletic example here, but He's going to shift the athletic example to a parenting example. Because that's another thing of discipline that you and I need in our life. And so, He continues on. For consider Him... Again, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He's saying, look, man, I get it. You're tired. You don't know, Hebrew people, if you want to, if you want to follow Jesus and, and, and have to you know, stay away from family and friends because they're going to cut you off and, and they're not going to have anything to, and, and they're going to persecute you and the persecution's coming from the Romans and all these other problems that are happening in your life. They're, they're, they're coming in and they're taking your belongings. I mean, go back and read. There's a lot of mess happening in their life. But he says, just consider Jesus. Jesus, holy in every way. Perfect. How much greater is sin in that circumstance? Because he took the sin of the world upon Him. He took the weight and the shame that you and I have thrust upon Him because of who we are, because of our sinfulness. Yet He was perfect and holy, and yet He still endured in humanity, in His human form, and went to the cross. We can't even begin to fathom that type of suffering. And He says, that's our example. Don't be weary and discouraged in your souls. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. You don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what it would be like to be holy in nature and strive against sin to the point of bloodshed. I mean, I fall, I, I fall to the temptation of a Krispy Kreme donut. I'm, woe is me. <laughs> Well, not just one, like three, okay? There, I confessed it. I mean, but guys, we don't. We don't understand, and yet he says, look, this is our example. He is our Savior. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Now, here's where we begin to see. He speaks to you as to exhortation. You've forgotten. He says, remember... And so we're going to talk about this word chastening. If you notice in the text, this word chastening right here in this section is used seven times from verses 5 through 11. My alert goes, ding, 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 ding. That must be an important word. Go ahead and go through there. Chasten, chastens, chastening. Circle it. Underline it. It's important. Seven times it's used here in this section. It's the Greek word padaya. Padaya. It's where we get our word pediatrics from. Ah. It's the idea, the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind, morals, employs for this purpose, now commands and admonishes, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body. This is an all-encompassing word that, that, that the writer here is using and he's using it from a father, our heavenly father, to a son, us as his children. And he's concerned, just like a pediatric doctor would be concerned with a child, he's dedicated to that profession, that area. Our father in heaven is dedicated to our training and education as his children. 
So let's see what he has to say. You know what? Again, you, if we know anything about this Hebrew writer, what does he often do? He takes us back to the Old Testament. Why does he take us back to the Old Testament? Because he's dealing with a predominantly Jewish audience. So he takes us back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 8, 5 through 6. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And so, I believe again, his thoughts are back there in the book of Hebrews, because we're going to see it again in a little, bit, in, in a little while, where he, he again is going to, I believe, draw from some Old Testament truth. But he quotes here specifically Proverbs 3. And he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. He's saying, remember. He's saying, remember this. Remember these things that were taught to our forefathers. Remember the Old Testament Scriptures. Remember those passages. That if you are a child of the King, that if you are a child of faith, don't be shocked, don't be surprised when God brings discipline into your life whether it's corrective, whether it's preventative, or whether it's educational. And so, Christian, again, I think in application, we too, as recipients, if you will, through time, the principles and truths that are laid out here for us, we need to be reminded that if we belong to the Lord, we are His children. And it's because of love. A parent disciplines their child because they love them. Hey, Dad, can I go play in the freeway? Sure, son. Tackle that transfer. <laughs> no, I would never say that to Luke. And by the way, Luke, you don't talk like that. Daddy does. I would say, absolutely not. No, I'm not going to allow my son to go play in the freeway because I love my son. I don't want any harm to come to my son. I saw a great video clip the other day. I digress, but I need to share. This is, this is really cool. I don't know if you guys saw this going around on social media, but there was a video clip on roller coasters. It was about parenting. And so for specifically for my teenagers in the house, parents of teenagers, this one's for you. When you get on the roller coaster ride and you sit down, what is the first thing you do? You pull down the safety bar, right? If you're smart, I know, that's old school. Now new school, we do. But all right, we're going to pull down the safety bar. Either way you go, what's the first thing you do once they come and secure it? You check it. <laughs> Absolutely you check it. You check that puppy. You want to make sure it's going to hold you. You push against it. You prod against it. You test it. Not because... You know, you're hoping it's just going to raise up and then I'm really going to be in for an adventure. Whee! No. You're testing it to see if it's secure. You're testing it to see if it's reliable. You're testing it to see if it's going to hold you. Parent, don't be surprised when your teen pushes back on you a little bit. They are actually needing to know that you're stable that you're secure, that you're going to protect them. 
They're testing that. And that should not come as a surprise. God has put you in their life as a safety. Why do you think we have the problems in our world today? We are a fatherless society. We have kids growing up without two-parent homes. And again, if, if that's your home, I'm not... I'm not listen, prayer to you. Pray, God help you because I, I recognize through the counseling that I do that there's a double load on you. But you know what? That load is not too heavy for Christ. And it's only in Him that you're going to find the security and the safety and the stability. But guys, part of what we're inheriting today is the fruit. The fruit is coming out. The fruit is coming forth from years, years ago, when Satan attacked the homes. Well, what else do we find in this passage? We find proof. Take a look. There is proof in this text that tells us either you're a son or you're a sinner. Now, what do you mean? You say, well, we're all sinners. No, 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 remember, you're now a saint if you're in Christ Jesus. I understand we still battle with sin. I understand we still struggle with sin as long as we're in these fleshly robes. But God has deemed you and called you a saint. So understand who you are. You're a child of the King. That's who you are. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Let's act like it. So there's going to be proof in this text to determine whether or not you're a son or you're a sinner. How do we see that? Where do we see that? Well, let me clarify. I told you a little while ago I was going to clarify something. Divine punishment versus divine correction. I'm going to hobble down here for this one. Divine punishment versus divine correction. You cannot, Christian, be punished for your sin in a divine judgment. Why? It's already been paid for. Jesus Christ paid our debt in full. How many of our sins were future tense when He hung on the cross and said it's finished? Every one of your sins. Guys, if you don't get that concept, you, you really miss the eternal security of salvation. Jesus didn't just pay for 999 of your sins, but that thousandth one you committed is not enough. Sorry, my graces. That's sorry, it ran out right there. The, my, my sufficiency ran out right there. That's not what God says in His Word. That's not what He teaches. When Jesus hung on the cross, but while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So don't get this in your mind because a lot of Christians struggle with this. If I mess up and I blow it royally, God is somehow looking at me with a lightning bolt ready to go and send me to hell. No. If you are born again, you are in the family of God, God's going to treat you the same way I treat my children when they mess up, royally mess up. I'm going to discipline them. That's a different form of punishment. That's not an eternal judgment punishment. That is a punishment dealing with the sin that they've committed in hopes that they will confess that sin and faithful to forgive them, cleanse them. This is promises from God. So don't confuse it whenever you and I mess up and we should start with have I sinned against a holy God and if I have, I need to confess that. It's not that God has cast me out of His family. 
Shouldn't have done that. Adios. Now, there may come time, heaven forbid, and some of you have experienced this in your own lives, where tough love says, the hardness of your heart has brought us to this point. You're no longer welcome in this house. I, I know some of you parents have had to do that. And my heart cries out to you because I cannot imagine what that would be like. But can you imagine what that's like when God our Father gives us instruction in the household of faith that we too must hold the people accountable and heaven forbid and we have had to come to these decisions before as a church because of the hardness of heart, because of unrepentance? Don't be confused. That is love. Because I would hope if I ever had to do that to my own children, heaven forbid, I would hope that they would get out there in the world and realize like the prodigal son that it's so miserable and it's so no one out there cares for them. Only the people that were back there where they were, where they were asked to go from were the only ones who really cared about them, that it would bring them to a point of repentance and that if they would come home, and we would say, welcome home. Throw on the fatted calf. Let's have a party. Discipline is love. So don't confuse divine punishment versus divine correction. As believers, as children of God, we experience loving correction in our life. But guess what? If you're not, then that text says you're illegitimate. In other words, you're not a part of the family. And if you're not part of the family, then that means that the wrath of God, the divine punishment, is being held back only by the divine mercy. And as long as you have a breath, that grace is still available. But the moment you take that last breath and you step into eternity and you've never come to the cross of Calvary, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never been forgiven of your sin, that wrath falls. And it's called eternity. And it's eternity in hell. Divine punishment. Because my offenses, at the end of the day, my offenses are against a holy God, an eternal being. It doesn't matter if I live 50 years of my life, 40 years of my life, 100 years of my life. I don't spend 40, 50, or 100 years in hell, and it's paid for. No, because I broke the law against a holy, righteous God, an eternal being. My offense is against an eternal being. Therefore, my punishment must be eternal. That's justice. But we don't want justice. We want mercy. And mercy and grace and justice are found at the cross. That's the difference between son and sinner. Let me get ready to wrap it up, and I'll save this other point for later. Let me say a couple things here. He said, remember, in verses 5 to 6, he says, and notice what he did. He took them back to to the Old Testament. He took them back to, I believe in thought. He's saying, look at, look at the Scriptures. Look at Deuteronomy. Look at Proverbs 3. Guys, when we discipline, our discipline must be grounded and rooted in the truth of God's Word. It can't be left to my emotional feelings because I can tell you, my emotional feelings do not want to spank my children. 
Especially when my little girls come and sit up on my lap and say, Daddy, can, will you play a game with me? And they know they're in trouble because they're supposed to be going to bed. And the last thing I want to do is discipline them in that moment. By the way, kids, that's called manipulation, and we've addressed that. <laughs> but because I'm not righteous, I fall prey to manipulation sometimes, right? And then I fall prey to the wrath of my wife. I told him to go to bed. Yeah, so. Yes, 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 dear. Kids, clean this up. <laughs> Let's go. Our, our decisions and discipline must be grounded in truth. And if God says bad company corrupts good morals, then I need to tell my kids, you don't need to be hanging out with that group. That's preventative, isn't it? Maybe educational. So this is what we're finding he's doing. Again, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, he says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest His correction. For whom the Lord loves, He corrects, just as the Father, the Son, in whom He delights. Parent, we love our children. And that's why we have to discipline. Church, your pastor and the leadership of this church love you. And that's why we too must discipline when those moments come. It's not because we want to. I'd much rather keep a happy relationship. But here's the difference. And this is our biggest temptation. We want happiness. But God wants holiness. Let's be real. I want the road of least resistance. That makes me happy. But Jesus Christ endured the cross for the joy set before Him. Because I'm not, I may not be happy in this life, but I can be joyful because I know what's beyond this life. I know what's beyond my suffering. I know that for a moment this might not be real happy. But if it's right, it's right. And that's where my faith comes in in trusting a holy God and a righteous God that His way is far greater than my emotional wants. And so like the hall of faith, we press forward one step at a time. Let's pray. Father, help us. As parents, uh, dealing with our children, sometimes they push against us, they prod, they test. Lord, help us to know that why we do what we do is not because we're out to get them, it's because we love them. And the same thing within the body of Christ. Lord, as we've been reading here in this Hebrews, no doubt these people were scared. They were afraid that if they followed Christ, they're going to suffer. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be made fun of. They're... Their own family members might reject them, but at the end of the day, that discipline's needed. Whether it's corrective in nature, whether it's preventative, or whether it's educational. Instruct us, Lord. Help us to trust in 
you with all our heart, not lean unto our own understanding, but in all our ways, all our ways, acknowledge you and you will direct our path. Father, as we close today, I want to take a moment and share this thought. Thank you for the life of Billy Graham. Thank you for the amazing testimony. Thank you, Lord, for his sanctification and just how he lived a moral life, a righteous life, but more importantly, he led a life of power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he shared it wherever he went. Lord, no doubt there are families in this room right now that have been affected because of His ministry. Lord, in this closing invitation, in honor of Him, but more importantly, Lord, for Your namesake, the altar is open. And I pray wherever we are, we'll come to Christ for all our need. In Jesus' name, amen.